what were at the time seldom televised sports events, track and field, boxing, bowling, cliff diving, and more. For 37 years, from 1961 to 1998, Jim McKay would dramatically introduce the show like this. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat, the human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That became a national catchphrase heard even to this day, literally. And the thrill of victory had pictures. They had pictures in the intro. And the thrill of victory had several symbols over the decades. Someone winning, someone catching a touchdown pass, whatever. But the agony of defeat had Vinko Bogotage. Vinko Bogotage, ski jumper, 1970, disastrous crash. He became an icon for stunning defeat. What I want you to see today is that while painful happens, Painful things happen to Christians while you might experience all sorts of overwhelming things while it might look like we are losing, while it might look like we are defeated. Our victory in Christ is far more overwhelming. That's what I want you to see today. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read Romans 8, 31 to 39. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. Let's hear it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we say amen and amen to that. And pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts today and in this assembly, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. The book of Romans shows how God saves people lovingly and suddenly and effectively and permanently. Romans 8 is the pinnacle of biblical assurance. We have a solid string of amazing reminders. The uncondemned are unaccused. God's gracious gift and guarantee that those who are in Christ are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Those made right with God through faith in Christ will be made like Christ. 
Romans 8 tells us that no condemnation leads to no separation. Verses 1 through 17 focused on the ministry of the Spirit of God. Verses 18 through 30 focus on the suffering in the life of a Christian. And the conclusion, verses 31 to 39, says the cross guarantees God's love for us forever. Never ending, loved forever. Contains a series of questions. First, in verse 31, can any power rip you from God and rob heaven of you, from you? Second, verse 32, any danger of God's love lessening or weakening toward you? Third, verses 33 and 34, can anyone convict us of sin? And the answers are no, no, and no. Verses 31 to 34 point to the facts of the cross, the facts of the shed blood of Christ in our place. And now verses 35 to 39 are focusing on God's amazing, unending love toward us. And so you have this fourth question in verses 35 to 39. It's a relational one. It's a relational question. Can anything separate us from God's love in Christ? It asks us, as Jesus is interceding for us, can anything separate us from him? As Jesus is loving us in heaven, can something on earth come between the love of Christ and us and render it ineffective? And in the answer, we see three statements of assurance. The answer is no, and you have three statements of assurance. First, verse 35. We might look defeated, but there is no possible way for believers to be separated from Christ. Number two, we may feel defeated, verse 36, but there is no possible way for suffering to triumph. And then number three, verse 37, we are not defeated. We are not defeated. There's no possible way to lose. We will ultimately be victorious in Christ. And this is what we see in this passage. It it assures us. So first, let's look at verse 35. There is no possible way for believers to be separated from Christ. Verse 35 begins, who shall separate us? Separate means to divide. It means to put space between to distance. It's a relational separation. Let's say you're separated from a loved one and, and you dearly miss them and you love them so much and you're separated maybe uh, geographically. You can't wait to see them again. Or maybe you've got a, re- a relational separation where you are at odds with someone and you wish that you weren't, but it's going on and, and you've got this relational separation. Who will separate us? The stress is on us. Who shall separate us? Believers from Christ. Jesus used the word separate in the Gospels to refer to the marriage union of a man and a woman that is not to be broken. I quote this verse at the end of every ceremony that I officiate, every wedding ceremony. Matthew 19, 6. Those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. I think of your life in Christ. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Christ is not going to divorce you. You cannot divorce yourself from Christ and the true church. I want you to notice that verse 35 and verse 39 use this same word, separate. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then verse 39, all these things cannot separate us. The theme is the, the unbreakable love of God that holds us, the unbreakable bond that holds us to the love of God. 
It's his love for us. The, as verse 39 puts it, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is not our love for God. This is his love for us, and it's demonstrated in salvation. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, the sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God, that he would extend mercy to us. The question is, can anything in verse 35 cut you off from Christ and his love? Because here, near the end of the best chapter in the Bible, you see a list of the worst things that can happen to Christians. Look at verse 35. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword cut us off? Seven real-life experiences. First, tribulation. That means to crush with brute force. It means to, to press together in such a way that things break and, and die. Medically used to refer to the pulse, to blood pressure. It was also used to pressing grapes and extracting the juice. But the idea is to be squeezed beyond what you can take, to, to be placed under pressure in such a way that you are crushed under the weight. There was an old law in England that whoever willfully refused to, to plead guilty had heavy weights placed on their chests, and they would be pressed until they were crushed to death. This is trouble pressing in on you from the outside. This is not minor inconvenience. This is real trouble. I mean, we take minor inconveniences and blow them up into the end of the world. You know, we think that the sky is falling left and right. This is not minor inconvenience in your life. This is real hardship. Real hardship. And it's followed by distress. Literally, to be in a narrow place. To be in a tight place. To be in a, a, a tight spot as a believer. And, and that you don't see any escape route. And, and you're severely confined and it causes anguish in your heart. A narrow place. It's like an army trapped in a narrow rocky area. Or, or it's even like a ship caught in a storm and the, the storm has the ship and it just won't let it go. This is where the walls of life close in on you and you feel constricted. It's the opposite of having joy. In fact, in the Bible, the code word here is large place. So when you see in the Bible, speaking of being in a large place, it means that you have joy and freedom in God, but when you're in, a, in distress, you're in a narrow space. Psalm 118, verse 5, the psalmist says, from my distress, I called upon the Lord. Do you call upon the Lord when you're distressed? Do you call upon him? Do you, do you cry out to him? I cried out to the Lord in my distress, and here's, here's what it says. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. He gave me joy. He gave me freedom. He took away the distress. That's followed by persecution. Persecution means to put to flight. It literally means to make you run away from something that's pursuing you with repeated acts of aggression. I remember when I was a kid in my neighborhood, you know, we just had a regular 
neighborhood with just houses and, and, and uh, but there was this one property near my elementary school that was big and it had trees all over and no fence around it. And they had two big German Shepherd dogs. And if you were going by there at the wrong time, the dogs would come down, barreling down the driveway and chase you. If you're on your bike or if you were walking. And so that was a scary thing. Persecution means to make you run by repeated acts of aggression. The gospel says that persecution for Christians is going to arise because of the testimony of Christ in our life and because of the word of God in our life. Christ warned his disciples. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. Persecution is followed by famine. Famine just means to be destitute. Basically, you have no food and no way of getting food. So you're going to starve. And that's followed by nakedness, which is the Greek word gymnos, which is where we get our word gymnasium. But it means a lack of clothes with no way of getting any clothes. So here you have famine and nakedness, no food and no clothes. How does that line up with Jesus' promise in Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 to 33? He promises food and clothing. He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So what do you do with that? He's promised the clothes and the food. What do you do with famine? No food. What do you do with nakedness? No clothes. Well, the idea behind it is that he's going to add those things to you according to his will. He knows what you need, not what you want. You know with food how it goes, right? We crave one thing, but what's really better for us is the thing we don't really want to eat, but it's there. He's going to add the things in your life that need to be there according to his will because he knows what you need to do his will and to bring him glory. This is why Romans 8.32 says that he will also give us all things, all the things to do his will, all the things he will accomplish to get us to final glory. Famine, nakedness, and then peril. That's outright danger. That's just outright danger. In fact, go over to 2 Corinthians 11. You want to see danger, you know. Stranger danger and persecution danger and all sorts of danger. Look at verses 24 to 27. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one. That would be 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And here it goes. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. That's a lot of danger. Danger. Peril. He says, often without food, in cold, in exposure. Peril is followed by a sword. A sword, they're not just flashing the sword. They're not just showing the sword. There were several kind of words you can use in the Greek for sword. There was romphi, which is this big, broad sword. But here it's makaira, it's a short dagger. The same word used for uh, the, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
Machaira, a short dagger. But here in this context, it, ref- it refers to being executed for your faith in Christ. It refers to execution. So this is the only item on the list that Paul had not yet experienced, but tradition has it that he did at some point. Look again at verse 35. Look at the very beginning. It starts with the, 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 the word who. Who, not what. People perpetrate persecution. Sinners sinfully separate. Who is behind all of these things? Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear, believers, what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And then it says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do you die as a believer? You die for your faith. You die for the testimony of Jesus. You die for the word of God. You will have a crown of life because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not even someone killing you for your faith. You have the sevenfold series of adversaries. And all in one way or another have been the common experience of believers through the ages. Paul is speaking from experience. He's been through this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. And then he says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So the worst suffering can do, if you think about it, is really the best. The worst suffering can do is the best thing for you. To be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with Jesus, to be home with Jesus. So let's say you get the sword for your faith in Christ. Nothing can interrupt God's love for you in Christ. No possible way for believers to be separated from Christ. Secondly, verse 36. There is no possible way for suffering to triumph over the believer. Verse 36, as it is written, you got to pause right there. Whenever you see that, as it is written, when you see that in the New Testament, and you'll see it 60 different times, it's the Greek word grapho, where we get our word graph, and it literally, it's in the perfect tense, and it signifies something so significant. It is written. It, it signifies God's word written down at a point in time in the past that remains on record as authoritative and eternal and unchanging. The word of God. In the perfect tense. It signifies the permanence of the written word of God. It is written 60 times in the New Testament and every time it refers to an Old Testament quote. It is written. Old Testament quote. Divine revelation written down at a specific time in the past. Stands written. Stands effective. 
What did Jesus say? Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. What's Isaiah say? The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of God stands forever. So what was written? He says, as it is written. What was written? Look at the words. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you see the picture there? Bloody slaughter of sheep being killed continually. It's a quote from Psalm 44, verse 22. It's actually a direct quote from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament was translated in, in Hebrew. It's in Hebrew. But it was translated into Greek. If you look in, ever look in your Bible study notes or in, or in your, your Bible, it might say LXX. That's code for the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This is a direct quote of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Quoting Psalm 44. Go to Psalm 44. You need to see the context. It's very important here. The context is very important. It would be easy to look at this and go, well, someone's saying that, oh, wait, there's a loophole. You're getting killed all day long. You're a sheep to the slaughter, so maybe something could separate you from Christ. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not what this quote is saying. So you go to Psalm 44 and go to verse 17. You see the words, all this has come upon us? You're like, all what? Well, this psalm has been recounting all the things that have happened to the people of God. In fact, they're saying to God, God, you have allowed this to happen. God, you have caused this to happen even. And they're not blaming God. They're actually stating fact. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. It was to be sung. And it's a psalm of God's people crying out to God for help in the midst of trouble. Well, of course, Paul's going to quote Psalm 44, 22. All this has come upon us, but look what he says. He says, but we have not forgotten you. We have not been false to your covenant. And by the way, he's not just, they're not justifying themselves here. You know, a lot of times we'll say, well, I didn't do anything wrong and we're totally guilty, right? No, they're actually being honest about the fact that their hearts were right with God and they're saying, we haven't been false to your covenant. We haven't forgotten you. Our heart has not turned back. Our steps have not departed from your way. We've been broken. God, you even broke us. We were covered with the shadow of death. And then verse 20 if we had forgotten the name of our God, if we had spread our hands out to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. And so God knows everything. In fact, that line, you might want to write it down, God knows the secrets of the heart because it's going to be a thread in the rest of this passage and as we apply this passage as well. But then you get to verse 22. So God knows the secrets of the heart. The people of God have been trustworthy. They've been They've been worshiping him and all these things are coming upon them. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's crying out to God for help. Look at the last verse. Verse 26. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Redeem us. So what was written? For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see what comes before. 
You see what comes after? This is a cry of victory. This is not a cry of defeat. Don't take this the wrong way. W.E. Vine writes that in quoting Psalm 44, 22, Paul is speaking of triumph and victory, not despair and defeat. All because of the death and resurrection of Christ. The context in Romans 8 here. The death and resurrection of Christ. He's given significance to the words for your sake. The opposition of adversaries is turned into triumph to, to suffer for Christ's sake. If you suffer for Christ's sake, you're entering into the sufferings of Christ, the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, he turns affliction into joy and victory, and, and the suffering servant can glory in, in suffering, as we saw in Romans 5.3. We rejoice in our sufferings, all because of Christ. This reminds us, you need to tra- trace your sufferings as a Christian, your sufferings for the word of God, your sufferings for your testimony, back to identification with Christ. It's like the apostles in Acts 5. They rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Like, I'm blessed more than I deserve. I get to suffer for the name of Christ. God's faithful people had suffered for ages. Hebrews 11, 36 to 38 says they experienced mockings and beatings and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. Did you get that? They were cut in two with a saw. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, no food, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, and the world treated them like trash, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. It's not hypothetical. This is real. This is actual. And it happened because they were loyal to God, just like the psalmist was saying. They would not forsake their covenant king. You know, one writer said of this passage that if any of the things in verse 35 could separate the believer from the love of Christ, the fatal severance would have taken place long ago because the life of the Christian is a living death. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4.9. We are like men sentenced to death. We have become a spectacle to the world. A spectacle is the Greek word a theatron. It means it's where we get our word theater. People watching, the world watching, the world mocking, the world mistreating those that follow Christ. So Paul could say in Acts 20, I do not count my life as valuable to myself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 31, I died daily. Literally, I, I faced death daily. He says, For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's the meaning of being killed all day long by virtue of our identification with Christ. We've all known people that have left the faith. We've all known people that have said, you know what, I'm not a believer anymore. Now I'm an atheist or whatever they say. If there is a professing Christian that turns his back on God, it proves that he doesn't belong to Christ, that and God only knows who they are. But 1 John 2.19 says they went out from us They were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Sobering words. True believers persevere, and they persevere not because they're strong 
in and of themselves. They persevere because they have the power of God's indwelling spirit to help them keep going. If you keep going in Christ, it's not because there's something special about you. It's because Christ is in you and he is your hope of glory. Suffering should make us wake up. Suffering should wake us up. That we would stop playing at the Christian life and trying to be entertained all the time. That we would get real with God and then when an avalanche of trouble comes crashing in, you're focusing on God and trusting Him rather than blaming Him or rather than trying to dig your own way out. Trust Christ. Why Psalm 44, 22? Because God knows the secrets of the heart. And if you are serving Christ with all your heart and things are crashing in, and remember, Peter said, don't suffer as an evildoer. Take your consequences for that. But if you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer for your testimony in Christ, if you suffer for the word of God, then glorify God as, as a Christian. You are, you are innocent in Christ. You, you suffer as a Christian for Christ's sake, and you're not being punished. You're being perfected. You're being matured. You're being sanctified. There's no possibility for believers to avoid suffering. There's no exemption on suffering in the life of a believer, but there's also no possible way for suffering to prevail, to triumph over the believer. Leads us to the third thing we see in this passage, verse 37. There's no possible way to lose. We are ultimately victorious. Verse 37 begins with an emphatic no. No in all these things. The seven challenges of verse 35. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. He coins a new phrase. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. More than conquerors. It's a compound Greek word which basically means to over-conquer. It means to conquer completely. More than. The Greek word is huper, more than super, hyper. We get our word hyper, conquerors. The Greek word for victory is Nike. We're victorious, conquering, overcoming, prevailing, getting the victory. But the Greek word here is hooper nikao. It's literally hyper Nike. This is a blowout. This is 62 to nothing. To vanquish beyond is what it means. To gain a decisive victory. To be hyper victorious. That we in Christ are winning a, a victory far beyond all comprehension even if it doesn't look like it. It might not look like it right now, but it isn't even close. It isn't even close. We are winning a most glorious victory because it's through him who loved us. It's through Christ. Through Christ. So these tough times in your life, and the, and the, the thing that's just crashing in and narrowing narrowing you into an alleyway that you feel like you can't get out of because of your faith in Christ, because of the word of God, because of your testimony, guess what that really is? That is God displaying his love for you. And it's curiously wrapped up as suffering. He's giving you daily reminders of his love for you in the midst of what you're going on and more than a conqueror. That means your enemies are dead at your feet. More than a conqueror, that means your enemies are caused to serve you. God makes your enemies serve you. This is Romans 8, 28. All things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's for believers. 
Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have therefore continued my faithfulness to you. This is what God does in Christ. He continues his faithfulness to you. And it's through Christ. That's why when you grasp this, then you come to a verse like, like Matthew eleven twenty eight, and it has so much more meaning. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Or Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I will never leave you or, or, or forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Because we will ultimately be victorious. If you're a Christian today, you are tougher than you think because God is stronger than anything. No, nothing can separate us. In all the things that come upon you that could even kill you, you are more than a conqueror in Christ. Nothing can separate us from, from God's love. Even if that seems contrary to current realities, current conditions, I think there's a unique tie-in to the Christmas story of the virgin birth and the incarnation. That was not without its trouble. That was not without its misunderstanding. We read it earlier, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is in the passage of the virgin birth of Christ, the incarnation. You've got a very explosive situation. A very explosive situation. Not comforting at all. Mary and Joseph are going to be accused of being inappropriate and impure they're going to suffer being ostracized they're going to be falsely judged people are going to think they had a, a child out of wedlock and they will be seen as outcasts they will be seen as the type of people that god doesn't love all of these things isn't it striking isn't it striking that such a glorious announcement would be accompanied by such inglorious earthly consequences all wrapped up as God's love for them, such is the life of those who follow the suffering servant. More than conquerors. The baby born to Mary in Bethlehem, the one who will save his people from their sins, vanquishing every foe at the cross, victorious and still undefeated, the champion of the world. Never defeated. Now you can think of sports teams sometimes that, or in, individuals who play sports that, that had these amazing win streaks, right? You can think of the LA Lakers going uh, 33 straight games that they won in 1971-72. You can think of the Wayland Baptist College women's basketball team that had a winning streak of 131 straight games from 1953 to 1958. You can think of the UCLA men's basketball team, won 88 games in a row from 1971 to 1974. Didn't lose in that whole stretch. You can think of the Cleveland Indians who won 23 games in a row in 2017. But at, at, obviously at some point they lost their edge, they lost the game. It's going to happen. But not so with Christ the victor. Not so with Christ. And, and, and as a follower of Christ, you may look defeated, you may feel defeated, you are not defeated. Let this help you grow up. This life is not about you. This is about God building his church, God preparing his bride, Christ preparing his bride, the church, 
and, and every believer belongs to the worldwide body of Christ. And God is working in you individually, but we get so individual, individualistic, don't we? He works in you, but he works also in us. It's not just me, it's we. So as, a, as an assembly of believers, we seek the glory of God above all else. It's not just me doing it. We preach the whole counsel of God. We pray fervently with expectant, God-dependent hearts. We seek the purity and health of the church. We train people to be humble, bold, servant leaders. We reach people with the life-changing message of the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. We deploy resources for the kingdom of God. We do this together in Christ. Help, let this verse, let this, this passage help you grow up. And stop wanting to be entertained all the time. How many Christians are just playing at the Christian life? We have heard today that nothing can separate believers from the love of God in Christ. Did you know that if you're not a believer today, then you are separated from God's love in Christ? We have heard today that believers are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So if you're a believer, you're winning a decisive victory, an unbelievable victory, even in the midst of any suffering you experience. But if you're not a believer, you get the suffering and you don't have the Savior. How many times as a believer do you say, I don't know what I would do without Jesus in my life? You need the Savior. We are not celebrating at Christmas time, the fact that a, a little baby was born in Bethlehem to make us feel comfortable and to get everything our hearts desire. We are celebrating at Christmas time that the little baby born in Bethlehem was born to die in our place. We deserve death because of our sin. Jesus died for your sins. We, we need to believe this and stake our life upon it absolutely. Let this help you gain perspective. Be realistic. Quit playing the Christian life. Step out of your comfort zone. If you're a believer, surrender your whole life to Jesus right now. You know, I mean, you know how many believers are basically saying, you know, I believe in Jesus, but they're living as if he doesn't exist. Practical atheists. That's the term. Stop playing at the Christian life. Get, get hyper serious about Jesus who, who is hyper victorious. Remember the phrase in Psalm 44, God knows the hearts of all? God knows what's going on in your life. God knows if you're living the truth. God knows where you're at. God knows if you're full of love or hate, humility or pride. God knows what you've been doing. God knows how faithful or unfaithful you are. God knows how righteous or unrighteous you are. God knows how honest or dishonest you are. God knows. You got to just be honest with him. He knows. You got to come to the end of yourself. You got to stop trying to be your own Lord and Savior. How many professing Christians are trying to be their own Lord and Savior? Acting like practical atheists. God knows how he made you. God knows how he is remaking you. He knows how he wants to use you to bless other people and to reach other people in the places that he has put you to interact. Young or seasoned, you notice I didn't say old, young or seasoned. He wants to use you to encourage believers and help people come to know Christ. I'm going to ask you something that will take you out of your comfort zone. Is there a believer 
in here right now who is anything like what I just said. You know, you're just playing with the Christian life. You're just kind of like, I just want to get entertained all the time. Wave at me. Raise your hand. This is a safe place, right? You fear God more than man. Think about this. Jesus loves you so much. He never excuses our sin. Never. Our sin sent him to the cross. But what he does is he he empathizes with your weakness. He wants your heart, your whole heart. If you're willing to follow and obey, because we say we're followers of Christ, if you're willing to follow and obey, weak as you are, he works with you. You walk in repentance. He wants you to know then. You're walking in repentance. Your heart is his. You want to do what is right. And he wants you to know nothing can separate you from his love in Christ. Nothing. In the midst of tribulation, in distress, those don't cut you off from Christ's love. You know what they do? They give you a more personal and soul-thrilling experience of the love of God in Christ. It's like, like Christians in a prison camp. More than conquerors. This is confidence. This is confidence expressed in the strongest language. Coined a phrase for us. And you notice sheep to be slaughtered are more than conquerors? Do you notice the opposite there? Sheep to be slaughtered are more than conquerors. All the glory of the victory goes to God. He supports us. He's our shield. He's our rock. He's our deliverer. He's our refuge. We're kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.5, we're kept by the power of God. And so when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Thanks be to God, it should stop us in our tracks. Because he has just been talking about the hardships of following Christ and what comes upon believers for following Christ. And he says, thanks be to God. He's looking behind, beyond his troubles to praise and thank God and to focus on the privileges of his position in Christ and to regain a joyful perspective like joy in a prison camp. Because he says, thanks be to God. Wait for it. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ. This is the image of the official Roman ceremony called the triumph. It's a victory parade. The general who won was honored with a festive parade through the streets of Rome. Paul is saying, we are being led by a sovereign God at all times who has promised us victory in Christ. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you have tribulations, but be of good cheer. Take heart, I have overcome the world. He's leading us in triumph in Christ. So stop playing at the Christian life. Stop seeking to be entertained. We're in a battle. We are in a war for souls. This is what we're in. Don't leave your soul in jeopardy. Don't leave the unbelieving to rot in hell. Tell everyone. Tell everyone of Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 4.1, he said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That means that God captured his heart, saved him. So here's what Paul says. I'm gonna live in active, ongoing, yielded surrender to Christ moment by moment. That's why he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And in case you say, whoa, hold on, time out, I've messed it up too much. Christian, you can't mess this up. 
the one who foreknew you and predestined you and called you and justified you and will sanctify you and will glorify you and will do everything necessary to get you to glory has this so you can't mess it up. Grand assurance. But what if you're not a believer in Christ? What if you're not a believer in Jesus? At this point, you've been hearing the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. He, he was buried. He rose from the dead. He's coming back with vengeance on those who refuse him and with blessing for those who believe. The question is, if you're not a believer today and you're saying, I'm not a Christian, and, and you are hearing the gospel, do you want to believe? Do you want to believe? If so, come to faith in Christ. And by the way, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if all the believers here know this, but God commands you to. Did you know that? 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is God's commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Make a profession of faith in Christ. Do it in your heart, privately. Do it in this group, publicly. Step out of your comfort zone this morning. Step out of your misery. This afternoon, by the way. It's, it's, it's already afternoon, in case you were wondering. Step out of your comfort zone this afternoon. Step out of your misery of your sin and into the joy of Christ that overcomes all sorrow. Say, yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, I believe Jesus died in my place for my sins. Yes, I believe Jesus loves me and gave himself for me. I, I say yes to that. I'll say yes to the God of the Bible. I'll say yes to the Jesus of the Bible that came to earth, was born of a virgin, God became man for the purpose to save sinners. If there's someone like that today, raise your hand. Tell me, who are you? Is there anyone like that? You're like, you know, I've been playing. I've been faking it. Don't fear, don't fear us, fear God. The comfort doesn't help you eternally if you're comforting yourself with lies. Jesus is the only Savior. He, you, if you're a believer, you say, wow, he drew me to himself. Wow, irresistible grace. Wow, I want to live my life following him. I want to love him. I want to know him. I want to go with all the truth found in the Bible. He's Lord of all. I want to acknowledge his lordship. I want to surrender my life to him. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess it with your mouth. That Jesus is Lord. Anyone here like that? Eternal comfort better than earthly comfort. God cares for the soul that runs to him for refuge. Lately in the fires, and I think I've said this recently, but someone said God went on vacation and he certainly isn't taking care of us now. Let me just say, oh no, for a believer, your care in Christ never falters. He is always always with you if you're a believer if you're a believer right now you might not be feeling the the thrill of victory you might only be feeling the agony of defeat in your life but let truth shape your experience embrace the reality of your eternal position in christ because in this passage today it's literally the truth is getting driven home three ways there is no possible way for believers to be separated from christ you get the list of sufferings the range of pain and there is no possible way for suffering to triumph. And there is no possible way to lose. We're ultimately victorious in Christ. He coins a new phrase for us. Super conqueror. 
Because Christ loved us and because Christ died for us, we will win. We will be vindicated. We will inherit the world. But I hope you have seen this today. You have tough, painful, confusing things happen to you. You will encounter confusing and overwhelming things and it might look like you're failing it might look like you're you're losing it might look like you're defeated but our victory in christ is far more overwhelming and that knowing that we are winning the most glorious victory is is assurance to live on and to die on amen let's pray lord thank you that there is no greater joy than to know that you love us, that you have saved us in Christ, that, that all believers have been chosen and you know them and you use us all for your glory and that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ and that you have a purpose in everything that happens in our life and that we are hyper-victorious in Christ forever. We thank you and we praise you And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.